Welcome back. Uh, we are here in week two of this series, which is called The End of the Beginning. I know that many of you are, as I'm speaking, watching Ohio State, and you'll come over later, and that's cool. Uh, my condolences on that game, probably, I don't know. Uh, hashtag Fire Archie Miller. I hope everything is going well as we continue through the Lent season, through the Easter season. And when I started this series, when I talked about it last week, with broken trust, with Jesus being betrayed, with the disciples running away from him, with them not being able to stay awake, with Judas literally betraying him, and just how over and over again he was stabbed in the back, in the front, everywhere. Um, because every time I do any kind of Easter series, like there is a, a formula basically to leading up to the resurrection. And so it's always a struggle for me, as I said last week, to try to pick and choose because there's so much amazing uh, just information here, so much good, so many things that we can learn, obviously. And so with this series, we're just going to focus on the path to the crucifixion and the crucifixion. And then we'll, on Easter, which is the next series, we'll do Easter uh, uh, resurrection. But I want to go this week to uh, something that I haven't really talked about much, but something that, that really is an insane thing to think about as we talk about it. And so this is going to be Mark 14, 53 through 65. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. So I just want to start with this small paragraph that leads into this. Essentially what is happening, exactly what is happening, is Jesus has been arrested last time we talked about that. And he's been taken to the high priest's home, to the high council, to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees and the people that are in charge of this, uh, the people that are in charge of supposedly helping others to, to find God, of showing who God is. And so if you can imagine this, out of all of the people that should have been on his side, it's this group. And so for him to be taken there... Obviously, this is another betrayal, but it's also something that just had to hurt. Uh, obviously, you can go into the, the fact that he knew this was going to happen, and he, he saw this coming, obviously. It was part of the plan, and he knew all along what they were like, and that they were the ones betraying him, and all of that. But just still, to be faced with this, the people who, who you are supposed to be working shoulder to shoulder with are... are arresting you or calling you in and treating you like a criminal, not listening to you, lying about you, all of these different things. And it's so insane. Uh, through the history of time, often when the church, the capital C church or any kind of religious body takes control of, an, of a society, of a government, of anything like that, it tends to not work well. And this is an example of that because what happened with the Pharisees was not necessarily that, oh, Jesus came and all of a sudden they turned evil. They didn't see themselves as that. They didn't see themselves as the bad guys. What they saw was this guy, in their terms, in their view, this guy who was talking to other people, who wasn't making people come to him uh, in a building or at a convention or anything. He was just going around and talking to them and ministering and healing and loving and being there and listening. And he was doing all of that, dressed like a normal person. He was doing all of that with these 12 normal people. He was doing all of that in a loving way to everyone. He wasn't waiting until they gave him offering. He wasn't waiting until they paid him anything. He's just like, I'm going to talk because that's what he was here for. And they see all of that and they watch. And probably at first when it happened, they're like, yeah, I don't really like this, but whatever, you know, let him do whatever. He's not taking anything from us. But then they started to hear like, oh man, that Jesus guy, 
he, he doesn't sin. Like he actually loves people. He actually does what he talks about. He actually practices what he preaches. And they saw that. And again, it's very hard to be self-critical uh, in, in some ways. In some ways it's easy, but in the ways that help, sometimes it's hard. Because it's easier to see in someone else what we don't like about ourselves. And what they saw was someone who was everything they wished they were. But they obviously couldn't stop and be like, oh man, I wish I were like him. Let's change our lives and go and follow him. Because they had the power and they had the authority and they had people coming to them and, and just needing them. And to be needed is such a, a powerful thing. And so they saw him doing what they were supposed to be doing, but more effectively and more lovingly and more truthfully. And you're like, I don't like this. We're not going to be needed very long. And so they began to come up with ways that, that they would stop it or began to, to look for things wrong. Uh, I have a friend who, whenever he goes to a movie, he goes in wanting to dislike it. So he looks for reasons to dislike it. And so he can come out with a lot of different critical things. Uh, versus another friend who will go in looking to like it and, you know, come out with things like, oh, this is good. And they can have like this conversation where they're kind of saying the same thing, but one of them is coming from a negative viewpoint and one of them is coming from a positive viewpoint. And so the Pharisees aren't watching Jesus. The high council isn't watching Jesus like, what can we learn here? Or what's he saying? They're like, let's find ways that we can rip him apart, literally and figuratively. And so this is what he's facing. And yes, it's another betrayal, but it's also something... Just worse. It's a betrayal not just of him, but of us, of the followers, of people, of God. And just picture, before I continue, what it would be like to be pulled before this body, before uh, the pastors of the area, before the religious leaders that you respect and know. Like picture Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, whoever else. Uh, picture people who, who just mean so much in the faith. and You're pulled before them. And not in a loving, instructional way, but where they're like, we don't like you because you're doing too good a job or something along those lines. It'd be, it'd suck. And so let's go to the next part. Uh, inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find it. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Uh, finally, some men stood up and gave the, this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. So a couple things, and, and I know that often when we talk about this, we talk about Peter's denial, and that's something that's important. And so when I mentioned Peter in the last paragraph and didn't really focus on him, maybe you noticed that, maybe you didn't. But he is always a part of this story. But for now, I want to focus not on what he is thinking, on what he is feeling. And he hadn't denied him yet, he's just waiting. And he's probably part of him still wanting to fight for him, to help him, looking for a sign. Maybe even part of him, since he was part of this society before he started going around with Jesus, hoping that the Pharisees were going to surprise him. That Jesus being pulled before the high council was going to be different. But regardless, the key to this entire thing happens in the first sentence of this part I just read, where it says they were trying to find evidence against him after he was arrested. It's not that, oh, they have this evidence against him, and they're going to go arrest him. It's like, okay, we got him. Now what do we do? Uh, there is obviously a phrase that you hear all of the time here, uh, more on TV than anything else, but still in real life occasionally, innocent until proven guilty. And you can argue day and night over whether that actually happens and how people actually view it and how people uh, go against it, all kinds of things. But here... He was guilty in their eyes, regardless of what happened. They didn't even need the proven part, but they're trying to back it up. It's kind of like 
if you have the last page of a story in your head or the last scene of a movie and you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I just know that Iron Man's going to snap and that's going to be it and everything's going to go well. How do we get to that point? And so you work backwards. That's what they're doing. They're like, okay, we know we're going to kill him. We want him out of here. So we got him arrested. What do we do now? Like, we've, we've got his followers on the run. We've got the power. How do we make this look more like we're not just being jealous or, or being cruel or being dumb? How do we make this, make the people go to our side? And so, you know, they started up a, a, a news network with just their point of view. No, I'm just joking. But they, they, what they did was they pulled him in. And then they went around to people that maybe were in their pocket or maybe weren't. They went around to people that... Uh, were willing to listen, that would want their help, would want a favor in the future. And they're like, hey, come on, just say some stuff. And you'll notice, if you were there, none of the disciples are, are, are there for obvious reasons. Uh, I would imagine Nicodemus probably isn't in the area, but all of these different things come down to the fact that they only saw what they wanted to see. They only heard what they wanted to hear. And so they called in people. Who would be able to back that up? And it literally says in this paragraph, and in history books, if you want to check it, literally says that they lied. They made up stuff. They just talked. They took things out of context and split it around. But it's like one witness would say this, and the other witness would say this, and they wouldn't really connect, but they were both negative, and they'd cross each other out, and the Pharisees were like, yeah, yeah, good point. Because they didn't care about what anybody said. They just wanted to hear... Jesus is guilty. They just wanted to have people to back that up so that they could go to everyone else and so they could write in their, their books, hey, you know, this was because he was guilty. And they didn't worry about the fact that people may ask, hey, you know, so you found all this evidence and then went and arrested him? That's, that's amazing. They're like, well, you know, technically we found it after. And so that's from their perspective, what they're trying to do. Jesus was living hope, is living hope. And what he is doing is setting an example for us, for them. And he's pulled into the, this awful situation. He's already been betrayed, like I said. And now he's here before, again, the people that should have been shoulder to shoulder with him, working hard, going out into the streets and talking to people and bringing people to God. But they weren't. And he's there. And I would just imagine that as broken as his heart already is, it just keeps breaking. Because again, he knew who they were. He knew how they were. He knew what they wanted. But he still had that hope because he is hope. Because he is life. He is love. And as much as he knows that Judas isn't going to ask forgiveness, as much as he knows that the Pharisees aren't going to humble themselves, it's still this, this paradox of the hope that they will because that's what he is. He's redemption for everyone. If they look to him and see. And so him being there, it just, I can't imagine how much it hurt. And this wasn't even the thing that hurt the most as he went. It's almost like a steady stream, as we'll see each of these weeks. A steady stream of this hurts, this hurts worse, this is way worse, over and over and over again. And yet he continues the same path. And I don't just mean he's walking it and he's doing, you know, what he's supposed to do and not fighting back and doing the right thing. I mean, he's acting the same in each situation. He's treating people like he would want to be treated, not like they're treating him. He's loving people even as they're in the process of hating him. He's listening even as they are not listening. Because he is love. He is hope. He is everything. He is redemption. And the Pharisees couldn't even get their stories straight. All they knew was we want him out of here. 
Because He makes us look bad. He makes us feel bad about ourselves because He does the right thing. Maybe you've been in a situation where you know that you should do something differently. Or, or, you know, you know that you shouldn't buy this or you should buy that or you should do this. You should listen. You should uh, do a better job. You should work hard. Whatever it is. And you see somebody, whether it's in class or at work or wherever else. and, And it's like they're doing everything that you wish you were doing. They're practicing hard for the team or for the band or they're, you know, working overtime or they're studying more and you know they're getting good grades or they're getting popularity or scholarships or whatever and you're seeing that and you're like man I just do not like them we've all been there we've all thought that I just do not like them and it's not that it doesn't matter whether they're a good person or not and some in some cases maybe they're a jerk and they were mean to you but most of the time we see that And what we see is not necessarily the person working hard, the person studying, the person doing their best. We see us not doing that. And we want those things, but we don't want to often go to the lengths that other people go sometimes. And sometimes we're in the flip and people see us and it happens. But it's not that we don't like that person. It's that we don't like ourselves or we don't like something about ourselves and we see it in them. Uh, Jesus once said, you know, don't point out the speck in somebody's eye if you have a plank in your own. Uh, And it's not, it's again, it's not, you know, don't talk to people about their sins or about something that they're struggling with. It's, hey, don't turn something that you're struggling with into a problem for someone else in that case by seeing it only in them. And we do that all the time. We argue with people because they remind us of ourselves. We dislike people because they remind us of ourselves. It's, it's a very hard thing to be human. And, and the Pharisees, when they became Pharisees, when they became religious leaders, when they started this path, I guarantee that to a man, they had good intentions. They were following God and they loved him and they believed in him and they wanted to really help people. And then they got a little bit of power and they got a little bit of money and they got a little bit of influence. And it's like, you know what, we're still going to do the right thing, but this is nice. I like driving this Bentley. A chariot Bentley. And I, I, I like, you know, wearing these clothes. And I like looking good. I like people looking up to me. And, you know, they just, it became the normal because all the rest of them were doing it too. And it's like, hey, we're still doing good. There's no sin for having money. And that's true. There's not. There's no sin for having influence, for having people think you're popular. Again, there's not. But then Jesus came. And he didn't shoot for any of those things above anything else. He just loved people. And so they looked at their fancy chariots and their fancy sandals and everything else they had. And they thought, well, we can either give all this up and be more like him or we can drag him down so people won't want us to be like him. Time and time and time again, people are always, for the most part, going to choose the easier path. Now, as Christians, we're supposed to choose the harder path, and we do. We try. But we still are weak sometimes, and we still fail sometimes, and we still want things to be easy sometimes. And again, there's no, nothing wrong with wanting that. But it's what you do in order to get it. It's what you do in order to live. And if you see someone else, and your only reason, true reason for disliking them is that they're showing people love, or they're being a better Christian, or they're doing the right thing, you got to check yourself and not them. 
And the Pharisees, again, this could have gone way differently. A thousand different things in this story could have changed it and made it go differently. Now, the end was always going to be the end because that's the prophecy, that's the sacrifice, that's what's going to happen. But individual people could have made individual choices. And yet, they didn't care what anybody said. They definitely didn't care what Jesus said. They just wanted him out because then they could go back to their life. They could go back to who they were before and not have to worry about judgment, even if it's themselves judging them. However, once you've seen Jesus, you've seen Jesus. Now, not everybody changes and not everybody gets it, but once you've seen Jesus, once you've been touched by Him, even if you turn away, that example is always there. And so, I don't know what their lives were like, by and large, after Jesus was gone off the earth, but they, it's not like His influence was erased. And so some of them probably had trouble sleeping at night. Some of them probably looked back to this moment and were like, how did we do that? And maybe, and hopefully some of them changed. Maybe, hopefully some of them got it later, but some of them probably just kept going forward. And even though they acted on the surface like, hey, it's all good, we did it, we're fine, we're good again, it was never the same again. I can guarantee you that. Because once you know what is right, even if you move forward and you pretend that you didn't hear it, you pretend that you don't, you know Going to the next part. Then the high priest stood up, stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. I think most of us, if we were accused of something we didn't do, we're going to want to defend ourselves. We're going to want to talk about it. We're going to want to say, hey, 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 I didn't do this. I said this before, but one of my pet peeves, one of the things that really gets me and actually like upsets me is if somebody calls me a liar. Because honesty is very important to me. And I don't mean calls me a liar, but like doesn't believe me. Because honesty is very important to me. It's a part of my, my job, my calling, but it's also a part of who I am. I try to, to always be someone that can be trusted. And so when someone questions that indirectly or directly, it hurts me. And so I want to defend that at times. Sometimes I just let it go, but at times I'll want to defend that. And I want to, to just really make them see. Because that's a human response. If somebody says something that's false about you, you want to set them straight. It's nothing wrong with that. If there are rumors going around about you, you want to, to make sure that people know that's right, especially people that you love, people that you know, people that you care about. You want that. That's natural. And yet sometimes people just won't listen. They've made their mind up no matter what. They've decided. And we've probably faced situations like that where someone has just decided they're not going to like us, they're not going to trust us, they're not going to help us, whatever. And, and no matter what we say, no matter what we do, it is what it is. Jesus knew their hearts better than they knew their hearts. And he knew that he didn't have anything to defend. He knew that they were saying false things about him and his heart broke. He knew that he had done nothing wrong and his heart broke. But he also knew that he had to, wanted to, loved being the example of what the right thing to do is. Because that's who he is. It was natural. And so he sat there allowing them to lie about him. And it's not that he was weak. It's not that he didn't want to 
contradict them. It's that he knew that whatever he said, they weren't going to listen. Now when they asked him, hey, who are you? He told them. He didn't make it up. He didn't lie. He didn't say anything that could have gotten him out of it. A long time ago, when I was in kindergarten, I believe, so dinosaurs, snow going uphill both ways, all these things, uh, I remember very clearly that I got in a fight. It wasn't a fight. It was like a kindergarten fight with two other guys. And they had both been bullying me a little bit, and one of them punched me, and one of them pushed me out of a swing, and I've gotten over it since then. Although I do remember both their names, but not for that reason, just because I remember things. Uh, but anyway, so we were pulled before the principal. Uh, I never have liked confrontation. I still don't like confrontation. But at the time, they both had gotten together and said, we're going to tell this story that it was an accident and he did this and blah, 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 so that none of us get in trouble. And, you know, as an adult, I'd like to think that I'd sit there and be like, this is what happened. And I don't want anybody to get in trouble, but I have to be true to myself. And then, though, I said what they wanted to hear. The principal's like, hey, was this really an accident? Yeah, looking down. Kindergartner. And it wasn't that I was afraid of getting beat up. It's that these kids who had such influence of me just because they were popular or whatever, kindergartners, I just wanted them to like me. I wanted out of this situation. And so I said, or I allowed the truth to be something different. Which is a fancy way of saying I lied. And it wasn't an accident, but I said that just so nobody would get in trouble, so that we could all go back to normal. So most of us, I think, would do some version of that. Or at least that would be our first resort. Well, Jesus, far worse situation. He didn't say, oh, it was an accident. He didn't care. Well, he cared, but he didn't let it affect him. What the Pharisees thought, because that was on them. And so they said, who are you? And he said, I am. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. And he wasn't saying it to, to, to throw it back in their faces. He wasn't saying it to convince them one last time. He was saying it because it was true. Because even in that moment, he wanted them to see it. He wanted them to see him. Because that's what this story is about. Even in his weakest moments where people were weak. Even in the hardest moments. He wanted people to see him. Because he is the focus, the path forward. And yet they just would not listen. They didn't care to listen. The Pharisee, the, the high priest that ripped his clothing after, he wasn't really shocked by that. He just wanted to be dramatic so that everybody else would fall in line. He knew what Jesus was going to say, because Jesus never didn't say that. All along, he was very clear, very honest, very straightforward. Because again, that's who he is, that's what, what he stands for. The word guilty is insane because he wasn't guilty of anything. He was innocent in every possible definition of the word and yet they were yelling it at themselves to him because they could not handle the fact that they needed to change and so they needed to get him out of there. Last Passage, and then we're done. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with, other, with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Uh, the guards slapped him, and later on the guards beat him, and you know the, the story, and we'll get into that. These are 
religious leaders spitting on him. These are religious leaders spitting on him and slapping him and hitting him and hurting him. It's, it's obviously, you know, they dug their own graves in the fact that they were lying about him and they were arresting him and they were betraying him and doing all these things. But now they've resorted to childish, just violence. Even if he hadn't been who he was, and we know he is, for religious leaders to spit and use violence just because they didn't like something, that's, that's wrong. Even if he had been blaspheming, which he wasn't. Ironically, they were blaspheming, but beside the point. There's no excuse for what they did. They were so angry that they couldn't break him. They were so angry that they couldn't hurt him. You know, in the way they wanted to. They were so angry. They couldn't change him. That he still was the son of God. That he still was good. That he still was holy. That he still was truthful. That he still was loving. That he still loved them. They could not handle it. And so they went from arresting him. To trying to trap him. To tricking him. Trying to trick him. To lying about him. To getting other people to lie about him. To spitting on him. To actually hitting him. And they just kept going down and down and down and down and down. And I don't know who else was in the courtroom by that time. I don't know if it was just the high priest and the guards and him. Uh, I don't know if the witnesses were still there. But imagine, even if you were one of the witnesses that had lied. And you see the people that are supposed to be your counselors. You see the people that are supposed to be your leaders. You see the people that are supposed to be the ambassadors of God. Spitting on someone. Lying about someone. Hurting someone. Allowing anger to rule their actions. Imagine that. Imagine what your relationship would be with the church after that. There are many reasons why it's important for us to live as Christians, to live as Jesus did, regardless of what people do around us. But this is one of them. Because people see us. Whether you're a leader in the church or people know you're a Christian or you just go to youth or you just go to church, whatever. If you're a follower of Jesus and you let anger and jealousy and... and vitriol spew out at all times and you keep devolving to violence and insults and hatred and whatever else ignore the people that you're doing that to which is wrong imagine what people that don't even know you feel about the church feel about Christianity at that point and again, we don't do this as a play. This is not where we have to act a certain way for people to like things because it's their choice, yes. But we have to learn from Jesus. And absolutely, we want to defend ourselves and good, do it. There's a right way and a wrong way. We are here to be different. And the story of Jesus is not just about his sacrifice on the cross. The story of Jesus is about his sacrifice in this moment. Because he could have gotten up and walked out of there and turned all of them into frogs or made them all not exist or whatever because he was all powerful. But he took it for us. Life sucks sometimes. And people will treat you like garbage sometimes. And no, you should not take that in certain ways. But two wrongs don't make a right, to borrow another cliche. Becoming like the enemy, quote unquote, 
Doesn't fix anything. Just makes it twice as bad. Learn from Jesus. Be like Jesus. Learn from this story. Because again, it's not just about the cross. That is vital to our faith. It's vital to our lives. It's vital to the world. But learn from how he handled each and everything. Because that's how we are to handle each and everything. And we're to help each other to do that. We are to walk forward. To hold each other up. To forgive. To show grace. To show love. And to be like him. That's all I got.